All right, tonight we are going to be in 2 Kings chapter 19. And in this lengthy chapter, we only read one chapter on Tuesday night, verse by verse. Normally do two or three, but this is a long chapter and it's a very profound chapter. As I mentioned earlier in the week, the text for us where Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, is laying threats and essentially siege to Jerusalem and the southern kingdom of Judah... This story is recorded for us in 2 Chronicles, 2 Kings, and in the book of Isaiah. It's one of those rare stories in the Old Testament that just transcends three books, which is amazing. And as we pick up the story tonight, what has happened, we looked at Hezekiah last week, just that amazing summary of his life where he did what was right in all the things of the Lord. He trusted in the Lord, what he was against, what he, was, what he removed, that he trusted in the Lord, and that he prospered. And we talked about all that last week in topical application. So again, we come back to Hezekiah tonight. But as we come back to Hezekiah, he is in this siege where they're under siege. Assyrian Empire, no one has stopped them, and they're rolling. They've, they've destroyed the northern kingdom of Israel. They're gone, never to be heard from again. They're just taken away. And they've conquered basically every major stronghold city in the entire region, coming through Syria, down through modern Turkey, parts of Turkey, Aleppo, Aleppo there in Syria, that whole area, they just came right on down and just rolled and they took everything they wanted. And the one city they've not taken yet is the city of the king, Jerusalem. And that's our context. So we pick it up now in, after all the threats have been made and it's a standoff, we pick it up in verse one of chapter 19. And so it was when King Hezekiah heard these threats that he tore his clothes, covered himself with sackcloth and went into the house of the Lord. Then he sent Eliakim, who was over the household, Shebna, the scribe, and the elders of the priest, covered with sackcloth, to Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos. And they said to him, Thus says Hezekiah, and this, this is what he says, This day is a day of trouble and rebuke and blasphemy, for the children have come to birth, but there is no strength to bring them forth. It may be that the Lord your God will hear all the words of Rabshakeh, that's Sennacherib's guy, whom his master, the king of Assyria, has sent to reproach the living God and will rebuke the words which the Lord your God has heard. Therefore, lift up your prayer for the remnant that is left. So the servants of King Hezekiah came to Isaiah, and Isaiah said to them, Thus you shall say to your master, Thus says the Lord, Do not be afraid of the words which you've heard, with which the servants of the king of Assyria have blasphemed me, Surely I will send a spirit upon him, and he shall hear a rumor and return to his own land, and I will cause him to fall by the sword in his own land. Then Rabshakeh returned back to Jerusalem and found the king of Assyria warring against Libna, for he had heard that he had departed from Lachish. These are surrounding cities that he took. And the king heard concerning Tikha, king of Ethiopia, look, he's come out to make war with you. So he again sent messengers to Hezekiah, because things are heating up, and now he's going to remind Hezekiah, we're coming for you. Verse 10, Thus you shall speak to Hezekiah, king of Judah, saying, Do not let your God in whom you trust deceive you, saying, Jerusalem shall not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. Look, you have heard what the kings of Assyria have done to all the lands by utterly destroying them, and shall you be delivered? Have the gods of the nations delivered those whom my fathers have destroyed? Goes on, Haran, Resef, the people of Eden who were in Telisar. Where is the king of Hamath, the king of Arphad, and the king of the city of Sephravim, Hena, and Eva? And Hezekiah received the letter from the hand of the messengers and read it. And Hezekiah went up into the house of the Lord and spread it before the Lord. 
And then Hezekiah prayed before the Lord and said, O Lord God of Israel, the one who dwells between the cherubim, you are the God, you alone of all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. Incline your ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see, and hear the words of Sennacherib, which he has sent to reproach the living God. Truly, Lord, the kings of Assyria have laid waste the nations and their lands and have cast their gods into the fire, for they were not gods, but the works of men's hands, wood and stone. Therefore, they destroyed them. Now, therefore, O Lord, our God, I pray, save us from his hand that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you are the Lord God, you alone. Now, the rest of this story, God immediately answers this prayer of Hezekiah and just completely says to Sennacherib and the Assyrian Empire, you're nothing, you're nobody. I raised you up to do what I've allowed you to do, but you've, mocked, you've come against me. You will not prosper. You're done. You're done for. In fact, God would say to his people, hey, eat your food, sow in the land, plant, sow. You're going to prosper. You're going to go deep. You're going to take deep root, and you're going to spring forth high, and you're going to bear fruit. All that came later on in this chapter. And sure enough, in the middle of the night, under being surrounded by 185,000 troops, the angel of the Lord came and struck down the entire army of Assyria. The, what was left of the Assyrian elements, they went back home with their tail between their legs, and Sennacherib was assassinated by his own son while worshiping in his temple of his false god. That's the way it ended in this story. So now we come back to this part of the story. It's this apex. You know, when you tell stories or books and movies, you get tension. And tension builds and builds, and you want, ah, oh, you know, like when you fast, when you're binge watching, you fast forward because you just can't take it. You, like, it's like that, that kind of tension. Like, I just got to go ahead and make sure this has a happy ending. Maybe I'm the only one that does that, but okay, anyways. But there's tension here, and this is the zenith of the tension. And we want, if we're watching this, like, we're, oh, we need this resolve. This, I can't take this anymore. This, this rich God and Sennacherib and these guys, oh, I just, I can't take it. And the bad guys are prevailing, and but this is the, where the tide turns. So often is, in fact, in the day of trouble where God moves mightiest and the tide turns. Wouldn't you say the day that Jesus Christ was crucified was a day of great trouble? Did not the disciples say, are you the only one who hasn't heard what happened in our city? The sky darkened, the earthquake, everybody knew that when Jesus of Nazareth was taken out the city and crucified between two criminals, it was in fact a great, deep, dark day of trouble on the day of Passover, no less. And was not that the day that our redemption began? Isn't that the day Christ crucified? Christ crucified for me, Christ in me, the hope of glory? The day of trouble will often, the day of trouble with the Lord, because the day of comfort doesn't usually produce a lot of good fruit. It's usually the day of trouble that produces fruit in the life of a believer. And it's that zenith of tension and drama that the Lord comes through. You think of Moses when they had fled Egypt, and they're there between Paharath, Migdal, and the Red Sea. And here comes Pharaoh's army, and they have no way of escape. It is the day of trouble. And he cries out to the Lord with his staff, and he says to the people, Stand back and see the salvation of your God. And we, are, we sang the song, you turn seas into highways, right? We just sang that song. And that's what the Lord does for us in the day of trouble. I don't particularly like close victories. I like blowout victories. I saw a football coach say that this week. He goes, I like to win big. It makes life easier. Yeah, it does not it for all of us. 
but aren't the most exciting victories that come from behinds or you just go like, oh my goodness, I can't believe we won. Like, that's that zenith. And in the human experience, we know that we have great days and we have average days and we have bad days. And I find it interesting that the Holy Spirit on the narrative here calls this through Hezekiah in verse 3, this day is a day of trouble. On this day of trouble, this is where God shows himself strong. On this day of trouble, we find out the true character of this man of God. On this day of trouble, we see how God, in God's economy, the kingdom moves and advances and is not hindered by evil men with boastful, blasphemous thoughts and words against the Lord. But on this day of trouble, we see what we know to be true, that the kingdom of God always prevails. The kingdom of light will always prevail over the kingdom of darkness. And God's not into the short five-minute drive-through lunch, if you will, the in-and-out world of America. But God's playing a long game right up until the day of Christ Jesus and the return of the Lord. We want immediate deliverance. We want things quickly. But the Lord, it's the wheels of God's kingdom are moving and moving. And even when he gave Daniel the vision in chapter 2 of Daniel of the kingdoms that would come, we see the mountain that crushes those kingdoms, and it's the kingdom of the Lord. We endure the day of trouble, we live the day of trouble, but we never lose sight on the day of trouble that the day of the Lord is right around the corner. And in this story, on this day of trouble, where Jerusalem is the last city not to fall, it looks like this is the very end of it all. Hundreds of years of God's people of covenant, this looks like it's the very end. 185,000 Assyrian troops. Hezekiah has done what he could. He stopped up the wells. He has the Hezekiah tunnel. He built the water system to provide water for the people under what would be the siege. He made shields for the defense of the people. He put together an army to fight these people. He was not going to go down without a fight. But the odds were profoundly stacked against him when it was his flesh against their flesh. And aren't you glad it's not our flesh against their flesh in the bowels of the Lord? What did David say to Goliath? You come at me with that, but I come at you in the name of the Lord. For this day, the Lord will deliver you, for the battle is the Lord's. And we need to know on the day of trouble, whatever it looks like, however it's defined, however much we saw it coming or it just came, we need to know that the Lord saw it coming and has a plan for all eternity in it in the day of trouble. You know, the longer we live, the more likely and the more obvious we will see the day of trouble. When someone we love suddenly passes or they get a sickness and before you can even grasp it, they got something serious, it's quick, it's terminal, something like pancreatic cancer, it might happen in just two, three months and they're gone. You just can't even believe it. It might be a sudden accident. It doesn't matter if someone's young when they step into eternity or someone's old and you love them, you still miss them. So whether you're missing a 10-year-old daughter like our good friend Brian Jameson or like me missing my mom who stepped into eternity at 85, I still weep when I think of her during the holiday season. We miss our loved ones. And my mom defied death for so many years because it just seemed like she had physical weakness, but she kept going, her will to live, and then that was it. She came to our women's event, saw my daughter speak, went home, watched Jimmy graduate police academy, had Christmas Eve Eve with us, and then stepped into eternity five days later. It was her time, but for me it was a day of trouble. Watching my mom step into eternity and watching the spirit leave the body with my sister there, and then Cousin Jimmy, her son who walked in right when she passed. Oh, it was a day of trouble. 
Because the day of trouble isn't just one day. Even when the day of trouble happens, there's the, the things that come after the day of trouble, right? When you get let go and you got to find another job. What if you started this week working for Microsoft or some of these big companies like Amazon and you're good enough to go to work on Monday and they called you and sent you the email? You're let go. And you've got a mortgage. You've got all these things. It's a day of trouble. Or the job's going well and you bid on it. You're the contractor. It's all going well. And suddenly they accuse you of things you didn't do. They twist it against you. And now they're threatening a lawsuit against you. It's the day of trouble. See, the day of trouble can look like a lot of different things. There's a lot of cynic ribs out there, isn't there? Male and female. And the Lord would have us learn in the day of trouble that he is our strength and he is our everything. And what we really see from Hezekiah here in the day of trouble is that we are to give it to the Lord. Three things that we see in this text we read tonight about the day of trouble for Hezekiah. And the first one is found in verse 3 where he says this phrase that really gets my attention. In this day of trouble, rebuke and blasphemy, for the children have come to birth, but there is no strength to bring them forth. Now, I've watched my wife deliver our sons and daughters, our children. And many of you women know what it's like to give birth. And some, some of you men were in the room when your wives gave birth or someone like gave birth. You're just there. Childbirth is a profound thing to be in the room for, needless to say. And those that know, know. And of all things I could imagine that would be like a really bad scenario is not having the strength to push for the baby to come out. Ladies, you understand, but this is important symbolism. The great king, the greatest king ever since the divided kingdom, the greatest king since the great king David says, this day of trouble is a day where there is no strength to bring forth the children, though it's time to birth the child. That is a contextually very profound statement. In other words, he says, this is a day where we need strength and we, when we most need strength. And when would a woman need strength more than to deliver the child in the last hour of delivery? And here he says, when we need the strength the most, we do not have it. Very powerful imagery. Which brings us to a New Testament verse that sheds light on this in a good way for us. There in 2 Corinthians Paul the Apostle has that famous passage where he said this about our weakness. Because in spite of having the tunnel built, one of the greatest engineering feats ever, like right up there at the pyramids, what Hezekiah's genius did to build the, from the spring, the, inside the city walls, the spring, and he created a water system that provided them the water they needed to endure the siege that was coming. It's archaeological history. People studied all the time. It's one of the greatest archaeological discoveries to this day, Hezekiah's tunnel by which he created the water system to endure the siege of Sennacherib. So we have these things that tell us and show us literally what happened. It's recorded for us. It's there in history. It's documented for us. And so Hezekiah, with that great fear, that's what was coming at him, built that tunnel system, an engineering feat beyond measure, he made shields. We're told in Second Chronicles, he made shields to fight against the Assyrians. But what he saw going on right now, there's just no defense for this. No amount of water can be enough water to withstand what's coming our way. No amount of shields can be enough defense to fight this battle that's in front of us. And he said, we are, well, it's time to birth the child and we have no strength. Which brings us to the New Testament, as I mentioned in 2 Corinthians, where Paul the Apostle said this about our strength, our weakness, and God's strength. Because we need to realize that 
Our weakness on the day of trouble is God's strength. Our weakness on the day of trouble is God's strength. And honestly, aren't we all most weak on the day of trouble? Our weakness. The very thing we fear is so vulnerable when the doctor says, hey, this is cancer, or this is this, or I have to tell you, you know. I remember my, one of my earliest childhood memories was 1966 when we lived in Cleveland, Ohio. My dad was in the Vietnam War. And I was in kindergarten. And I always remember when the Marine knocked on our door and told my mom my dad had been shot and wounded in Vietnam. It was a day of trouble. That knock on the door. And when that knock on the door happens, or you're grasping a sense that some kind of tragedy is happening, or some great thing that, like Job said, the thing I feared the worst has come upon me. That weakest moment when our confidence is in the God of the universe, like Hezekiah's was, our weakness that we can no longer push to deliver this child is God's strength to come through and show himself strong on behalf of those whose hearts are loyal to him. For in 2 Corinthians, Paul said this, talking about his thorn in the flesh. Many of you know this passage, but he had an affliction. Most people think it was his eyes. But he said, you know, I had all this revelation from God, but God gave me a thorn in the flesh, was given to me a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure concerning the thing that I pleaded with the Lord three times that, I might, that this might depart from me. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And he says this now in verse 9. The Lord answered me. He said, this, so when Paul pleaded for deliverance from this affliction, he says the Lord answered him and said, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Paul goes on to say by the Holy Spirit, Therefore, most godly, I would rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Isn't that a comforting verse? Isn't that just an amazingly comforting verse? See, we always talk about with the Lord, it's not our ability, but our availability. Well, so too in the day of trouble. It's not the strength that we brought to the day for this day of trouble that could come upon us. But it's, it's being in the Lord, belonging to Jesus. That Christ is our sufficiency. That we've saved by faith. We're walking by faith and we're living by faith. And the day of trouble comes and you don't know what's going on. It's like it says in Philippians chapter 4, Be anxious for nothing, but through prayer and supplication, let your request be made known to God and the peace that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. See, the interesting thing about that passage is that the peace that surpasses understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So he'll give us peace even when we don't even understand it in the day of trouble. Because let's be honest, when the day of trouble comes and, and something happens so fast, you can just be in a shock mode trying to calibrate stuff. I'll never forget when the doctor came in the room to try and find the heartbeat for our first son in, when my wife was at full term. And I began to be alarmed because the nurse couldn't find the heartbeat and she left. I'm like, that's not a good sign. And the doctor came in, he does this with the whole thing, and he just looks at me and he's, he looks at me and Jeffrey says, I'm sorry to tell you, but your baby has died. And the moment I heard that, it all, you know, it just went eclectic. It, it goes black and white. It all seems like a soft lens and it just went black and white. 
and it's like a language that goes backwards instead of forward. Like you just, you just, when you hear stuff like that and you encounter stuff like that, you can't think straight. I remember one went to go see Brian Jameson after at Children's Hospital there in Orange. Our, our good friend, former associate pastor here, and the pastor of our sister church there in Orange. I went to the hospital and I'd heard they just diagnosed Trinity, his daughter, with a brain, a cancerous brain tumor. She went from headaches in a matter of just a few weeks, like this, the worst case scenario for a parent of a you know, nine-year-old daughter. And I always remember being in that lobby area and Brian came out to me and he just said, I, 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 he just, they'd just gone through his father-in-law dying of cancer, a prolonged battle with cancer, his father-in-law, Heidi's dad. And he's like, he's connecting that to his daughter and I remember just feeling like, I can't, I can't even process this right now. Like he, and I was sitting there listening to him, I go, he is in shock right now. He's literally in shock. And that's how it works sometimes on the day of trouble. He's, he's, he's just in shock. You can't believe this is, this is happening. You're just, you're just in shock. Like, this is how life works. And this is when we find out who we are. We find out who we are. And where our heart is on the day of trouble. But know this. Don't, don't fear the worst day. Because Christ is over it. And we're not living for time anyways, right? We're living for eternity. And if we really believe that all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. And through all events be conformed to the express image of his son. Though we don't sign up for the day of trouble, we don't need to fear the day of trouble. And we can know that God is bigger than our worst fears. Our weakness is God's strength in the day of trouble. So if you're in shock, you can't believe this happened, these people betrayed you, this went this way, do, just keep your eyes on Jesus. Because the day of trouble will bring us to the end of ourselves quickly. Because what you find out in those moments, and younger people may not know this, and some older people may not know this, but when death and tragedy come, no matter how much money you have, no matter how powerful you are, there's nothing you can do to stop it. You can't buy your way out of the grave. And you can't buy your way out of life's experiences. And from living from age one to the age of 80, you can't buy yourself out of, you just can't buy, you can't buy your way out of these things. You can't trade five houses in Balboa Bay to offset the loss of a, a child you love. They just, there's nothing you can do about it. You might be able to tell everyone what to do on Jamboree, but you can't do anything to save your son's life. That's how the day of trouble is. And death equalizes all of us. But through faith in Jesus Christ, our weakest moment on the day of trouble is God's greatest strength. So yes, it's good to have shields. It's not a bad idea to dig a really good water system so you can withstand the siege. But in the end, our confidence is in who God is, not in who we are on the day of trouble. Our confidence isn't how much we've prepared ourselves for that day of trouble. Our confidence is in our childlike faith in the God who's over us with his strength on the day of trouble. Now, the second thing we see here is where he gives the, puts the letter before the Lord here in verse 14. It says, so... You know, it comes around a second time, the threats, the bullying, all the intimidation, all this stuff. 
and they're, they're reading the resume of what they've done. No one can stop them. You're not going to stop us. How dare you trust in the Lord? You better fear us because we're human government. And Hezekiah says this. Hezekiah received the letter from the hand of the messengers. He read it because you can't deny a government law or mandate. He read it and he went up to the house of the Lord and he spread it before the Lord. That's what you do with that stuff. You read it and you spread it before the Lord. Whatever, whatever the day of trouble brings to you that strikes fear or sorrow or all these things in your life or uncertainty, we have to bring it before the Lord. So our weakest moment is God's greatest strength. And for us, our burdens in our weakest moment are to be given to the Lord. Our burdens, the letter, the threat, the releasing, the email, whatever it is that's happened, the reality, that burden, because burdens are heavy, trials, testing, trials, tribulation, and tragedy are all heavy things, depending on what degree they affect your life. And they're burdens. The human experience is essentially a series of burdens in a fallen world with faith triumphing over them. Our burdens through faith in Jesus Christ are to be given to the Lord. Jesus didn't die on the cross and rise from the grave for us to be crippled with fear of a worst case scenario or to cease to live and grow for the kingdom on the day of trouble. And that burden has to be given to the Lord. And so we have that famous passage from Matthew 11 that I read to you now, what Jesus says about our burdens. Our burdens on the day of trouble, this letter, such an imposing, intimidating letter. This is not the only intimidating letter in the Bible, of course, right? I mean, Ezra and those guys, and they're rebuilding the temple after the Babylonian captivity, they had the threatening letters. They're like, are you, willing to sign, are you willing to sign your name and post on YouTube that you're, you're still building this temple when the government told you not to? They had their threatening letters. When Esther went in to risk her life before her husband, the king, she did so against government mandates that were also essentially driven by threatening letters to exterminate her people. But she fasted, just like we see the sackcloth and ashes here. And she went in. And remember what she said? Hey, if I live, I live. If I die, I die. But this is the day of trouble. And I'm going in there for my people, for my life, for my calling. My parents are gone. I'm a captive, but I'm going in. I won the beauty pageant. I'm going in right now. It's everything. For my future. For my children's future. For my uncle. For my relatives. For my first cousins and my cousins twice removed. For every Jewish person on planet Earth, I am going before the king right now on the day of trouble. And before she ever bowed the knee to the scepter of her king, she surely gave the burdens to the real king, the king of the universe. Who, by the way, in the most interesting things of all books in the Bible, the book of Esther is the only book where God's name is never mentioned in the Bible. Because a lot of times in the day of trouble, it seems like he's not there at all. And you don't even hear his name. That's how dark that book was. He's never mentioned but the faith is on display. Jesus said this about our burdens in Matthew 11. He said, Come to me, Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28, Come to me, all you who are labor, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. 
Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. There is no testing, trial, tribulation, or tragedy in the day of trouble that Jesus Christ does not want us to put on his shoulders. There's not one where he says, you carry this one alone. No. He yokes himself to us, if you will, and he leads us through that, and he carries that for us. Or like the famous story of footprints in the sand, where we felt like we were all alone with one set of footprints. He was carrying us. Yes, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. No one's exempt from the valley of the shadow of death, but aren't you very joyful to know that the good shepherd goes with us? Jesus said, I am the good shepherd, and I lay down my life for the sheep. No one takes my life from me, I lay it down. And he comes for us, and he's with us. He said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Yea, I'm always with you. In fact, that passage from Joshua, where he promised to never leave Joshua, is the passage taken by the Holy Spirit in the book of Hebrews in chapter 13 and said, he will never leave us nor forsake us. Plus, Jesus in the Great Commission said, I, will, I am with you always, even till the end of the age. So the affirmation, the promise that his presence is always with us. And even if we might feel like in the day of trouble that his presence isn't there, bring the burden and lay it before him because he is there. For faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence not yet seen. And we have to believe on the day of trouble that the Lord is there. He needs to be in the heartbreaking email. He needs to be in the blasphemous blog. He needs to be with the tragic knock on the door. He needs to be in that room. He is in that room, but his people of faith, his servants, his daughters, his sons, they need to acknowledge him in that room and to take those burdens and let him carry us through those burdens. This year began with hearing of just a horrible situation, a child drowning, and it's just the whole story is just so, I can't even, I can't even think about it without just being so sorrowful. A child that drowned on Christmas Eve at the grandparents' house. I mean, that is as sorrowful as any human experience I could possibly think of could be. And I've seen a lot of sorrow in 35 years of ministry. And I was asked, what do you say? I'm like, you don't say anything. You just pray and you be there. Because for that family, that burden, a whole entire church, we can say, we're going to be with you in this, or all these other people. We can get all Greg Laurie's people on the Harvest sign-up list for Crusades to say, we'll be with you in this. But no one can carry that burden except Jesus Christ for those people. Only Jesus can carry that burden because no one else brought that child into the world. Point of conception. The first birthday party, the second birthday party. Only Jesus saw all that. And only Jesus saw and knew what the future would hold on the day of trouble. Only Jesus can take you forward from that day. And that is why we must always learn early on in life to the last day to cast our burdens and cares upon him. I've thought about this with elderly care. I've been thinking about a lot about elderly care because my dad just went, you know, from assisted living to memory care, and you just see how these things play out. And I thought, you know, he's very happy, and he loves where he's at right now, and he loves the setup, 
and he doesn't, now he's in a wheelchair because he can't walk the 70 yards to the front door to go out and get in the car. And I'll, I told my sister on the phone yesterday, Barbie, I'm not sure how many times dad's going to want to come to our house anymore and just drive by PCH. He's really slowing down. But I've had this thought. As difficult as it is when you slow down and get a little foggy and you get a little fuzzy, if you will, what if you're actually sharper than people think you are and you really know that they're downgrading your care? What if everyone around you in the room thinks because you're 94, you don't realize that you're being moved from a five-star location of assisted living or memory care to a two-star location of memory care? What if they think they don't notice that, that the one place you left had, did not have a bad smell, but the place they brought you to does have a bad smell? And they think you don't notice, but you do notice. And what if at 95, you're like, wow, the kids really did this to me. Then give that burden to the Lord in memory care on that day. Because you're not going to want to be bitter toward your kids. You're not going to be bitter toward your grandkids. That's the last thing you want to do in the last season of your life. You're in the red zone. You want to finish strong. You can just have to love them, forgive them. And maybe you might even play dumb. Dad, this is a really nice place. Thank you, it is. But you know it's not as nice. See, we have to learn early on in life to the very, the very last breath to give our burdens to the Lord. If you end your journey in excruciating physical pain, because some people do. You know, a lot of terminal illnesses are very painful. When my mother-in-law died of cancer, and we took care of her, she li- we lived in her house with her, and we took care of her, and they, you know, down the stretch, they give you morphine and stuff like that, because it's very painful. And I just, I'd never, up to that point in time, I wasn't even 40 yet. I was like 37 or 38. I'd never really realized that cancer can be very painful. Like, how I didn't know that was, I just, I didn't know. But my mom lost both of her siblings to cancer before they were 30, and she had experienced these things by visually, but I just, I didn't know. And what really got me the last few months that Grandma Pat was alive was how much pain she was in. And just thinking, man, I, oh, Lord, God of heaven and earth, I beg of you, please don't let me die in excruciating pain. But you know, if he does, give that burden to the Lord. Because who knows pain better than Jesus? How about Psalm 22? His description what the cross feels like when you're on the cross. How about Isaiah 53? Isaiah's description of what he did for us on the cross. See, you can try and give that burden to politicians, relatives, co-workers, strangers, and any other 8 billion people on planet Earth, but none of them can carry it like our Savior, Jesus Christ, the King of kings and Lord of lords. No one can carry that burden from your heart. We run to the Father again and again. Uh, my soul needs a friend. My heart needs a surgeon, right? Like, who else can do that? No one. That's why you shouldn't fear men or women. You bow the knee to the Lord. Because on the day of trouble... They can't help you. They might be empathetic. They might be sympathetic. The difference between empathy, they acknowledge you're going through a hard thing. Sympathy is they know, they feel sorry for you. There's a difference. But only Jesus is everything that you need to be. And he says, my burden, he'll give us the strength on that day of trouble. 
We give him the yoke of burden. We give him the letter from Sennacherib, and he does the rest. We give it to him, and we're in peace. New facility, this memorial service, the small casket. I've seen a lot. I haven't seen it all, but I've seen a lot. He gives us peace. We give him the burden. He'll give us peace that surpasses all understanding on the day of trouble. And as I mentioned earlier, the day of trouble can be a season of trouble, but nonetheless, he'll carry it. Finally, the last thing we see in this, the day of trouble from Hezekiah. So we, our weakest moment is God's greatest strength in the day of trouble. And our, our greatest burden is to be given to the Lord in the day of trouble. And the final thing we see is this last verse of when he's praying. As he prays here, the last verse here in verse 19, he says, after all, he says, yes, Lord, I'm a realist. I, I'm, he's a positive guy, but he's like, there, there's no denying. It's a, it's a negative truth. These guys have conquered everybody. They've laid waste the nations and the lands. But the truth of the matter is they were not true gods that they destroyed, but you are the true God. And then he says, therefore, you allowed them to, to destroy it. But now, therefore, verse 19, O Lord our God, I pray, save us from his hand. What is a better prayer than the Lord, save us? Do you know a better prayer than that? Lord, save us. Jesus' name means Savior. Like, that's, that's a prayer that calls upon his name. Lord, save us from his hand. That, this is key, that all the kingdoms of earth may know that you are the Lord God alone. Now, Isaiah the prophet would say in his book, I am the Lord, there is no other, speaking of the Lord. There's no God like me, there's no rock like me. And truly, there is no God except the Lord. This whole universe, trillion galaxies held together to the benefit of 8 billion people to come to know him, this God of the universe is the only God, the God who's the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and sent his Son to die on the cross for our sins. And in this third point, we see that our faith is our foundation in that day. Because this is where we really see his faith. Because his worldview... Now, we know Hezekiah was 25 when he became king. We know his dad was a horrible king. Ahaz was the worst. And we know he became king in the most excruciating, cruxable tension of times. But we know his first year of being a king, he refurbished the temple, refurbished worship, rehired all the worship leaders to lead worship for the people and brought praises back into the city of the king. And from the very beginning of his reign, he did good. And he put the Lord over everything. His faith had been growing, obviously, but when he became a a man of position and a man of influence, He was unashamed to be all in for the Lord. Thus, it said, as we studied last week, he he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, even like his father David. King number 13 of the Judah kings after 200 years is the first one that is compared to the one and only great King David. And David is known for being great because he had a heart for the Lord. And in that line from David in 1000 BC to the time Christ came, a thousand years, 10 centuries of the connection between the Virgin Mary plus the stepfather Joseph and how that all ties together. Of all those kings, this guy is maybe the best one of them all. He tore those things down. We're not worshiping the bronze serpent anymore. We're not worshiping these high places. We're not committing emphasis anymore. That's over. And so we talked about this too. When earlier on during the beginning of Sennacherib's attack, he stripped the temple and, and gave gold to Sennacherib to try and keep him away, and that didn't work. And we talked about that being the, the, the best choice of all the bad choices. Because when it's the day of trouble, 
you, you know, the day of trouble could be you could do this, 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 or this. And I put everything in four, four options. A, B, and C, and D is anything other than A, B, and C. That's how I keep it simple in my mind. I can't do more than a four square. A, B, C, D is anything other than that. And as he had to make these tough decisions, stripping the temple of gold was the best of the tough decisions he could come up with. It was a really bad choice, but not as bad as some of the other ones. And that's what he did. This is that man. And this man was a man of faith. He had the faith to tear down things that were offensive. He had the faith to destroy the bronze serpent that had been worshipped like an icon for 600 years. He, he had the faith to take on the high places where the lewd behavior happened underneath every green tree. He took, tore down the booths of all the agenda people. He, he, he was fearless in his faith. And so when this day came, it's who he was. His faith was his foundation because he closes this prayer with this affirmation that you are Lord God and you alone. See, the entire event now is between him and the Lord. It's a vertical experience. It's not about Santa Crib or his little buddy that talks smack, whatever. It's not about 185,000 Assyrians or a wonderful water system that you built or the shields you built to save your army. It is about you and the Lord and knowing that God is on the throne and God is in control. Isaiah, his contemporary, who he went to in this book, had in chapter 6 described seeing the Lord in his glory at the death of Uzziah, which has already happened. He saw the glory of the Lord. Isaiah had the vision. And here he is, and he's saying, you who dwell by the cherubim. He is taking his problem. He's taking his weakness, his burden, this letter, and cast it before the Lord. And he's putting it before the throne of God. He's putting it before, he's putting it in Revelation chapter 4 and chapter 5, in the throne of glory. The four living creatures, the rainbow, all that. That's where we need to put the day of trouble. His heart is in eternity, and what he is declaring is eternal. These are eternal truths. Your, it's the Lord's prayer. Yours is the, yours is the power and the glory forever. Yours is the kingdom and the glory and the power forever. What's he say? That all kingdoms on earth may know that you are the Lord God, you alone. And that's what the day of trouble teaches us, that our confidence isn't in this doctor, this job, this asset wealth, this thing, this cure, whatever. Just the Lord. My dad, before he got kind of fuzzy, I mentioned this once before, he told me the story about uh, my mom's brother dying of cancer. He knew my mom's brother. He died before he was 30. They amputated a leg to try and save him. And in the end, he just he died of cancer before he was 30. And very handsome man. And, but a story my dad told me just a few years ago, I never heard before, is that my grandfather, Bud, who was... Uh, the father of Bud Jr., with that Catholic background, he went to Italy looking for the special healing waters and all these different things, you know, this, this statue or whatever, and he came back with holy healing water to try and save his son. Now, if you told me that 30 years ago, I would have been like, what a waste. But having now having adult children and grandchildren, if I thought, if I thought even 0.00% that healing water could actually heal my kid, I'm on a plane to, I'm a, I, am, I am on a plane to Rome. And as Brian Jameson said, as his daughter was dying, Joey, let me tell you something, hope sells. And there's a lot of people that are trying to sell hope and make money from people who are suffering. Hope sells. And as Brian said, our hope is in the Lord. I'll never forget Jack McEwen, who leads worship here, leading Trinity Jameson in worship the day before she passed to be with the Lord on her bed in her house with her little dog beside her. Sometimes when Jack is here, I think of that day. 
Oh, I think of the memorial that Danny Donnelly and I did for his friends who lost their newborn at one week. That's a different day. So you associate these things where you know that your only confidence, the, the fullness of your faith was in the Lord. How do you do a graveside funeral for people you've never met with a little casket? Your faith is in the Lord. How do you sing songs to a girl who's passing away when you're a teenager and she's 10? Your faith is in the Lord. How do you show up and minister to that family the day right during Thanksgiving holiday? Your faith is in the Lord. How do you look at them on December 4th and bury their child for all eternity? Your faith is in the Lord. The foundation for us in the day of trouble is the Lord Jesus Christ who is the rock and who alone is the Lord. And the day of trouble makes our vision so clear and so simple. It's Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And everything is moving us toward the kingdom and the glory. And all this is temporal. And all that matters is our heart being transferred, the surgeon, our soul having a friend, and Jesus taking us from point A to point B. Hebrews 12, 2, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And I close this third point in this text, this message, with this text from 1 John chapter 5. It's, it's a great verse. 1 John chapter 5. In speaking of our victory, he says, And this, 1 John 5 verse 4, And whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is he who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Our victory in overcoming the world system and everything that comes with it Testing, trials, tribulations, tragedy, the world, the flesh, the devil, and anything that can transcend dimensions, our victory is our faith. And it starts with a childlike faith in Jesus. It grows and goes through seasons. And the very last moment, eternity comes for us, and it's coming for us. It's going to be the thing that transcends the dimensions, our faith. This is our victory. What is that overcomes the world? Our faith. Our faith in Jesus. Not faith in faith. Not faith in politicians, world rulers, human philosophies. Our faith in the Savior. So when we say save us on that last breath, it is the Savior coming to save us. And we are the church of Jesus Christ. And we are the pillar of truth. And we are the steward of these truths. And we can never let testings, trials, tribulations, or fear of men ever move us from this firm foundation that we alone have and we invite the world to share with us in the person, the work, the presence, and the promises of Jesus Christ. Yes and amen.